Welcome to the Rim 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 Pro Report, the one and only weekly broadcast for the Rim Support Services industry. Bustling with news, views, here's what I believe, and the latest updates. That's just them. The show is full of interesting information, stories, yes, important product and service reviews, yes, and a cast of industry characters included. Yes. <laughs> Record center operators, shred and destruction vendors, media and electronic vaulters, scanners and imaging providers. Take note, this show is for you. Now, here's your host, Tom Adams. Well, it's show number eight of the RimPro Report, and I am glad you're here. This show is dedicated to Jake Palmer. He will be greatly missed by those who share their lives with him. On today's show, we're going to get an update from Bob Johnson at Nade about what's happening in Nade World. Uh, we're also going to look at, to me, one of the most innovative and compelling products in the Media Vault industry in a long time, and it's called the Little Media Vault. And we're going to talk to Neil Hunt of Critical Systems about the Little Media Vault. And we'll also spend some time chatting with Jack Wiles, who is a preeminent security expert. Uh, interesting story, interesting life this gentleman has had and we're going to talk to him a little bit today about uh, some of the security issues that he's aware of in the world and uh, I think uh, I'm actually looking forward to the conversation with him he's in the early conversations I had with him before today's show I've uh, man what a interesting character so we'll probably also have some um, news and, and possibly even some more people stop by just to you know keep us up to date Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Well, no, we don't have a case of the Mondays. We got a case of the, uh, well, you know, trying to figure out what's going on in the world. So I would love to know what's happening in your world. I This show is all about exploring what's happening in the greater rim industry. And if you're a shredding company, if you're a media vault company, if you're in the records management, document management business of any way, shape, or form, I am interested in what's going on in your world. So please get a hold of me. Uh, if you're a vendor in this industry with something to share, serve, new service, new product, updates to products, updates to services, this is an open forum to discuss it. I am not actively you know, demanding any any payment to talk about your product or service. Uh, I am open to sponsorship if somebody wants to talk about that, but that's not the intent of the show. The intent of the show is just to have a different medium or a different media to share what's going on in the industry. And I love this industry. I love the people in this industry, and I think it's such a cool industry to be involved in. So if you've got anything to share, call me. Use the show hotline or use the form on the contact page of the RimProReport.com website. I would love to hear from you. You know, I've been thinking a lot recently, and it's for some reason just kind of keeps showing up both in uh, the people I talk to, in my own thinking, is the whole concept around fear. The fear that controls us in terms of making effective and important decisions in our businesses. I'm not talking about the fear that someone's going to do something negative to us or something's, you know, the HIPAA stuff that we constantly talk about. All those kind of things, not not that fear, the fear that is often unjustified that keeps us from making important decisions. It's the kind of fear that keeps us from beginning to get involved in a new marketing campaign that might seem a little unusual but could effectively make a huge difference for us. It's the kind of fear that keeps us from firing the people that are really holding our companies back or who really are not contributing in a way that they could and should be. It's the fear of an investment in a product or service that you know, we know could help move us forward. It's the fear of what someone might think, either your competitor, uh, someone else in the industry, when you're deliberately choosing to do something that matters. And fear, I think, becomes somewhat of a bad habit. It's the kind of thing that can mess with us moving forward effectively and appropriately, especially when it holds us back from accomplishing the kind of results we want to accomplish. And as I've thought more about it, I realized that sometimes the fear that uh, I experience and the fear that I see in other people that are my clients and people that I talk to on a regular basis is that fear of the unknown. It's not so much 
what happens if I do this? It's the unknown part of all that. And I guess I'm, I'm saying this today because I, w I want us all to, I want you to consider the areas in your business that you are sort of holding back on out of fear and the uncertainty of the unknown that accompanies it. And I want you to sort of make a decision today on one little item to say, I'm not, I'm not going to let fear hold me back on this. I need to step out and make something happen and choose to push forward through this despite that uncertainty or the unknown. You know, I, I was thinking about it in the context even of this show, and I, I think for a long time I wanted to do a show like this, but it's funny how that little thing of fear just kind of keeps holding you back. And so I, I think when I finally got to the decision of saying I'm no longer going to trust the fear, the fear of what people might think or the unknown or maybe no one will support it or no one will listen to it, didn't matter what was more important was actually just kind of breaking through that fear of the unknown and saying I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what I know it needs to be done and I am so incredibly happy that I did. I love doing this show. I love talking to interesting and uh, cool people in the industry and I'd love to talk to you going further but thank you for all of those who listen you know I uh, I always said interesting people stop by the show so uh, who's this <laughs> you fool you fell victim to one of the classic blunders the most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia but only slightly less well known is this never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line <laughs> Uh, oops, there he goes. I, you know, I, I was playing a little game of uh, Russian roulette with uh, my friend from, yeah, well, okay, let's, I think it's time to go to Bob Johnson. Well, today I'm, I'm glad to have Bob Johnson, executive director of Nade, on the line with us. Bob, are you there? I am, Tom. Hello. Hey, welcome to the RimPro Report. It's really good to have you on. You are one of the leaders in the whole greater, what I would consider, RIM community. And I, I'm glad to have you on because I know there's lots of stuff going on at Nade these days. Tell me a little bit you know, about the stuff. I, I realize there's certification stuff, there's member growth, there's uh, an insurance product. Where, where do you want to start? Well, it's... First of all, thank you for this opportunity. I, you know, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, and, I, and, and you know that I, uh, um, I'm a big believer in the message that you've taken to the RIM community. But the, um, uh, and, and as you mentioned, you know, the, really just you know, out of the support of uh, so much of the industry, we, we've got a lot of uh, ability and, uh, or a lot of um, opportunities to take advantage of what's going on in the marketplace. And yeah. really, it is it is the evolving marketplace that's generating these opportunities for us we're just trying to you know pay attention to what's needed next but if you if you actually you know, held my feet to the fire and you say what what are you most excited about or, or what's the biggest kind of sea change coming from nade or for the industry i'd have to point to two of our initiatives both really in their infancy and evolving um but as we speak coming to fruition yeah one one is the um the new accreditation program that we have where Nate is developing a body of knowledge related to the industry. We've kind of identified the, the, those segments and, um, and developing the training materials and study materials for it so that starting in January of next year, um, and not just our members, but anyone interested in demonstrating that they have a a high level of competency in those various areas will be able to test for that and thereby become a certified secure destruction specialist or wow. a CSDS. And so that so, that's actually something open to anyone, not just NAID members. Yeah, and you know it's it's, it's been a little bit of a of a, uh, a a model change for us. We you know a lot of our members obviously are used to the NAID certification where we certify their company right um, for how it operates. This is really an individual certification and follows the individual oh. um, with them. So, um, you know, it might be something they achieve with one company or in another one part of the country and they move on to somewhere else. The other thing is, and this is probably the biggest surprise or maybe a little bit gratifying, is we've, we have had um, 
you know, uh, I would say, I can't say significant, but certainly some interest from just industry consultants, industry professionals that are in the overall RIM world that, that, you know, want to develop this body of knowledge. Well, and I, I can even imagine that, that large corporations who had people, you know, on staff who were potentially, the, you know, the, the key point person on all their shredding and secu- information security initiatives potentially even be involved in that, right? Yeah, I, I, I think they would. And, you know, that will evolve over time. Uh, you know, Tom, I, I think you'll like this part of, you know, why we're doing it. it you know, certainly, um, we see this as an opportunity for specifically uh, members of our industry right. um, that are taken seriously to to differentiate themselves and to make a difference in their marketplace. But beyond that, you know, the, the point of NAID, developing the curriculum and developing the training materials has been very easy because it's what we've always done. We've always produced educational information to try to uh, keep our members informed and keep them able to convey that information to their customers to yeah. be of more value to their customers. So at the end of the day, it's we really just want them to know the information. Right. And by structuring it in this way, it, it gives them kind of a, a goal, a gold ring out there they can grasp for. But on the way, the good news is they develop that body of knowledge. Oh. And, and you know what comes from having that expertise in yeah. the marketplace. Oh, that's, that's fabulous. It's such a cool initiative. And I, I, I know in the last couple of weeks I've been – dropping it into the news every week just you know this has come out and they're, they're starting to say more and i think it's a fabulous thing and i i would highly encourage every one of our listeners who does destruction to make sure you're you're getting involved in that program so the csds certification is a big thing that's the one if i held your feet right by the fire you'd say yeah that's the one that excites you the most any any other big initiatives going on uh, certainly, and, and I, you know, I, I think I did allude to two of them. The other one, and, and probably the other one occupying uh, as much of my time as the CSDS is right now, is the new NADE insurance product that we're bringing to market. Um, because NADE is a trade association and represents a certain industry, we have um, there are some actual laws written around the fact that allow us to create insurance products that specifically address our members' needs, especially where they're not being addressed elsewhere. Right. You know, I know that you know you live and breathe um, our industry as well, and you're well aware of the fact that our customers' liabilities are increasing by yeah. the changes that high tech brought to HIPAA, and and not surprisingly, they're passing those liabilities on to our members. And I and I think you know there's 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 a reason for that. You know, we have to be cautious about that, and right. I, I I I think that's. You know, part of the message has to be that you know, don't let the don't let the marketplace carry you away and have you taking on liabilities that aren't reasonable. The other side of it is, embracing some of that liability is actually a way to, you know, to under to to show your client you understand what they're going through. And right. part of this insurance product is saying, all right, we're you know we're going to qualify our liability and we're going to recognize it and we're going to address it. Um, but we also embrace it, and we see the, the fact that we have to have some indemnification to stand behind the claims that we're making and the, and the services that we're providing. Hmm. So, so um, it, initially, we are addressing, as you, as you probably have read, is the, the professional liability exposure yeah. um, and, uh, and including data breach notification coverage. And I, w- I have to say, you know, when we first looked at insurance five and six years ago, we discovered that professional liability insurance had a lot of exclusions that made the product almost irrelevant. Now, people bought it because they needed to check off the box, but right. it really didn't provide the coverage because of the exclusions. Right. Largely, and I, we take some credit for this, is that the, you know, some of the insurance community has responded and, and said, all right, we get it. We see that those don't work. You know, the same thing has happened on this data breach notification. Most of the products, if not all of them that we've seen in the marketplace, simply take the same language they would use for a bank or a hospital that's buying data breach coverage and apply it to our industry. Huh. And it doesn't work. Yeah. So uh, it, this exercise has exposed that. It's given us a chance to write a product that, that fits our marketplace. So when, when given given all the work you've done, when is that planning to hit the marketplace where people can actually start buying it? 
well, that, that's a stake in the ground that's oh. moved over time, as you can, okay. you know, yeah. we, 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 you know, you, uh, your eyes are always bigger than your stomach when right. it comes okay. to, to white, what's doable, but we're near enough the end right now that we're pretty comfortable um, making, you know, putting that stake in the ground is October 1st. Oh, wow. And so since we're, um, you know, already looking at mid-August and uh, our members and, and really the, the RIM community will start to hear more about that, um, even though we've been writing about it, uh, it'll actually be obvious that, you know, applications can be reviewed, policies can be reviewed, um, and, and we, we know will be, I should say we know, that's strong, we see no reason why we won't be writing these policies on October 1st at this point. Sweet. That's so yeah. cool. So is this only for the destruction, the information destruction world, or is this something that uh, companies who border on that uh, because, you know, the, the whole data breach notification, that's as valid in a record center as it is in a shredding company. Are, are they, is it a product that is, you know, a, available across the board, or is it more just to the destruction community? It, 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 I have to qualify the answer. If I would first say that it, there, it's certainly available to almost any data-related vendor. Okay. So if, if they're providing third-party data processing services, whether it's destruction, storage, even billing, other things, it will be available. You know, whenever you do one of these programs, the, the onus is on us as far as um, controlling losses. We, we know that we're going to be giving preferential treatment, if not exclusive treatment, to uh, making it exclusively available to certified companies. Oh, that okay. is NAID certified companies. Oh, okay. Now, we have enough of our members, though, in fact, probably up to 50% of NAID members offer other data-related services, yeah. and we're not going to be able to leave them in the lurch once we've identified these things. And so it, it, it won't be the same application because we do want to keep things separate, but it will be the same policy coverage, and we will be extending it to any other services that a NAID member offers that fall under that, the realm of that. My, the, why I have to qualify it is... Yeah. is is if they're if they're if they're involved in a in an area of business that is of high risk or is uh, is something that we're not quite sure because we can't even envision all of the possible services that a that an RIM vendor might be certainly we can you know we know most of them but um, we're going to have to evaluate the other services on a case by case basis. The good news is that there's certainly the possibility. Hmm. The the other side of it is is we 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 think that the you know the, just like when we found these these exclusions four and five years ago that, that the insurance industry responded to, it won't be long before the overall insurance industry responds to the modifications we're making in the in the uh, data breach area as well. Right, right. Well, it becomes a competitive issue then for, for them too. So. Yeah, very much. And, yeah. and, you know, what Nate has, I think part of Nate's strength is we've always seen ourselves as much of a, as a consumer advocacy organization, as a member organization, and and uh, we do intend to explain the relevance and value of indemnification to to RIM consumers. Right. And so we're you know we, we definitely see the insurance product as being something, and we don't see us causing the need for it. I don't want to make that right. the yeah. case. Yeah. We're we're really responding to what is an inevitability and yeah. what what you obviously see happening all over the place right oh, now. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. Well, very cool. Well, that, that sounds exciting, and I, I know there's probably lots to do in the next uh, months ahead, but uh, continued success on that. Hey, I wanted to congratulate you. I mentioned this last week, but uh, it sound, sounded like you guys had 100 new members from January to April or first quarter of the year. I think that's, I read that in right the magazine. Yeah. Way yeah, to go. Well, that's, you, that's fabulous. Yeah, it it um, it is surprising. It is also surprising that you know certainly we're seeing growth internationally, and and we're right on course there. But it, even in the U.S., and and it's it's also gratifying to see that it it's not necessarily startups. Which we went through a whole phase three or four years ago where they were startup businesses. Yeah. These are companies that are now in business. A lot of them in electronic information destruction, or or have been in information destruction in a long time, and just want to. Um, avail themselves of the of the support that we give 
That's great. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Uh, I know you're doing stuff on red flag stuff and on HIPAA, and, man, there's a lot going on at Nade. And uh, hopefully, if you don't mind, maybe every so often we'll check in and uh, just catch up on what's happening in your world and see how all these other initiatives are going, but maybe other ones as well. Are you, you up for that? I'd love the opportunity. Oh, that'd be great. Well, Bob, thanks again. Uh, continued success in what's happening at Nade, and uh, thanks for being a part of the Rim Pro Report today. Glad to have uh, Neil Hunt on the line today from Critical Systems. Neil, are you there? Yeah, hi, Tom. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, no problem. Uh, last uh, May, I was at the, the PRISM conference, and across the hall from the booth that I was running with PRISM Gives, uh, there is this uh, thing sitting there, apparently called the Little Media Vault, and uh, I was intrigued by it. What possessed you to come up with this idea for the Little Media Vault? Well, um, uh, thanks, Tom. Uh, well, uh, we build um, uh, large uh, uh, media vaults, fire-protective media vaults for the records management industry. And over the last 12 to 18 months with the economic climate, we found that uh, uh, a lot of our customers were uh, really wanting to get into the media vault industry, um, but really couldn't justify spending the sometimes several hundred thousand dollars to get into it. Yeah. Also, a lot of our smaller um, vendors who uh, wanted to start off with a, a, a small vault you know, were pulling out for the same sort of reason. So uh, we sat down and we came up with this concept of um, a, a self-contained unit. And uh, uh, it, it sounded crazy to begin with. Yeah. Um, but the more, that we, the more that we thought about it, we more, the more we thought there was probably a market for it. So we made a few calls and talked to a few people and got a very positive feedback. And um, uh, about three weeks before the PRISM show, um, we decided to go ahead and build one. Wow. And uh, much to the consternation of our fabrication department, who uh, initially <laughs> thought that we were very crazy. I bet. Um, uh, we put in a lot of overtime, uh, worked a couple of weekends, um, uh, put this... Uh, uh, Media vault, little media vault on the back of a uh, on the back back of a truck, and drove it to Reno and um, put it up and waited for everybody's reaction. And um, I have to say, it was an incredible reaction. Um, uh, it's very kind of you to say it's one of the most innovative uh, products you've seen in many years. Um, you weren't alone. Um, you know, some very uh, respected and uh, influential people in the industry sort of came up and said, "Why didn't we think of that?" Yeah. So that's really where it came from. Okay, and, uh, well, let, you know, let, let me go back because there's maybe a whole bunch of people who weren't at the show and uh, who are listening to the RimPro Report who are going, okay, well, what's the Little Media Vault? Tell me what this is. I mean, I, I know what it is. I've seen it. So explain to me what the Little Media Vault is from your perspective. Well, um, the Little Media Vault is a four-foot by four-foot by eight-foot box, um, kind of like a large telephone box, really. Okay. Um, uh, it's... Uh, uh, it's made out of a material called FBI board, which is fire blast and impact board. Yeah. Um, this is a material that we in our organization use to uh, build large fire barriers for nuclear power stations and power generation systems. Um, it's tested and used all over the world to UL standards and NFPA standards and all sorts of things. And, you know, we build vaults out of it. So um, it's four foot by four foot by eight foot, as I said. So it's, it it's internal... fits, fits right on a pallet is essentially the size of it, right? If you... Yes, it fits right on yeah. a pallet. In fact, the way that we build it, it actually has forklift holes in the bottom. So you can actually just slide a forklift inside it and lift it up. It weighs oh. about 1,800 pounds. So okay. it's not going uh, uh, to move without a forklift. And uh, certainly nobody's going to run away with it in a hurry. Yeah. Um, uh, it has an internal uh, space of about 75 cubic feet. Okay. Now, um, uh, if you look at that on a cost per cubic foot basis, it's very, very reasonable. And we'll talk about price later. But um, it's self-contained. And what do we mean by that? Well, literally, we drop it, uh, we drop it off at a business, and uh, you can plug it in and within two hours be ready to go. Um, it comes with its own H self-contained HVAC system really? that controls temperature and humidity as well. Um, this is a unit that sits on a uh, uh, on the side of the um, uh, uh, on the side of the little media vault. 
um, and uh, uh, it's, uh, it's very, very clever. Um, so we can control the environment within the vault itself. Um, it also comes with an FM200 fire suppression system. Oh, my goodness. Now, uh, uh, this is a very small space, so we can do FM200 without the same sort of cost that you would normally associate with a larger vault. And I know from experience that FM200 for a larger vault can run into thousands and thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah. This, this being a much smaller space, um, you know, we can put FM200 in. So uh, in addition to that, it comes with a biometric lock set, so uh, it's got the added security and also a fire-rated door. And, uh, uh, you know, this gives you, um, you know, an amazing opportunity to, to, to go out and sell to your clients a fire-rated vault solution that can compete with almost anybody in the marketplace. Well, it's, 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 it's got the same, it's, it looks to me like it's got the exact same capabilities of the bigger vaults you build. It's just portable. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. What a great way of putting it. So, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's a way for smaller record centers to get into the vault industry without having to lay out the big bucks. Yeah. It's a way for medium-sized um, uh, record centers to be able to expand their vault um, business without having to pay for a really expensive expansion of an existing vault. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we, we, we've, we're looking at various iterations of it, but we've even had people approach us um, to see about actually selling them onto clients um, so that they can actually store their, their clients, can store their tapes safely and securely on site so it can go from one little media vault straight to another. Oh, the, the, the cool thing about that is it, it, it's really such a, a, a cool item that, yeah, could be used to have, have clients set their tapes in and the... And the uh, vendor, the media vault vendor, can actually go to the little media vault on a client site, pull the stuff from there instead of having to go into their into their file or their their server room. Absolutely, and in this uh, in this security conscious world, uh, with tapes tapes going missing, uh, this can be used in a workflow that will give um, uh, absolute certainty that only the tapes that you want picked up or you want dropped off are being uh, being uh, you know picked up and dropped off. Yeah. Oh, that's fabulous. So um, this, this, you know, I, I think it's very easy to say this can go in record centers, but I, I would assume that if a shredding company or if a scanning company who's already got clients, they, um, self-storage companies, any, anybody could use this, right, as a, as a revenue machine for themselves? Absolutely, and um, uh, that's a market that we're, uh, we're aggressively moving into. Huh. But uh, the revenue machine is a, is a very interesting um, phrase that you use because depending on your price structure uh, and depending on your customer base and how many tapes you've got, if you filled this up with LTOs or DLTs, you could look at an ROI for, uh, for, for, for this self-contained little media vault. Um, probably within 12 to 18 months. Wow. That's, so, that's impressive. So it really is just a, a very simple and easy way to get into the business. You don't need to spend a lot of money. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, uh, I'll be honest with you about the price. It's 12 and a half grand, um, excluding delivery and racking. Wow. So um, we've partnered with uh, Reb Steel, who I'm sure most of uh, your listeners will be aware of, yeah. who can... Uh, take the space inside it and rack it out with uh, 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 sliding uh, mobile racking um, to really any specification you want, from uh, a turtle case right down to a CD. No, that's fabulous. So, uh, so everything included except delivery and racking within uh, within the domestic United States. That is fabulous. Wow. Um, so the uh, the advantage of this one to me and and you've already said it but the advantage is you you can get into the the media vault business so quickly and easily and uh, the difference being I think that uh, if you go and build a significantly large uh, vault which is what most people end up doing it takes you years and years to, to pay back the the investment not only does it take years and years as you rightly say the process of actually building a vault um, is, is, is never easy. Yeah. Um, uh, we've had instances in terms of building larger vaults where permitting can be uh, immediate. We've had instances where permitting can take six months. 
Um, the advantage of the little media vault is you don't need a permit for it, and our delivery times are between three and four weeks. Oh, my goodness. So if you get that contract for 500, 1,000 tapes, and you don't have room for them, you can sign the contract, call me, and I'll build a vault for you, and it'll be on your door within four weeks. Well, I, I, as you're saying permitting there, I was just thinking that based on the price you just told me, the 12, 12 and a half, you said, 12 and a half thousand, your permitting right. costs alone or the engineering costs on a, on a major vault can probably be half to three quarters of that, can it? Uh, uh, yes. Um, uh, in fact, you're almost right on the money. Um, uh, uh, our base price for engineering for, uh, and permitting for a, uh, uh, for a normal vault, uh, really of any size, um, is between six and seven thousand dollars. Oh my goodness! So, so pretty pretty significant numbers for you there. Yes, absolutely. Now the other thing that we offer, as far as the little media vault is concerned, and we talked about the price of it being twelve and a half thousand. Um, when you fill it up and you decide that you do want to go to a bigger vault, we'll offer a five thousand dollar buyback guarantee on the little media vault to go towards your bigger vault. Wow. So if you fill it in 12 months or 18 months or two years or three years or however long it takes you, and then you decide you want to build a permanent vault, we'll buy it back for $5,000, which makes the net cost of it $7,500. Oh, my goodness. That's fabulous. Wow. Well, uh, a lot of people have, uh, you know, when I was at the show in, in um, Reno in May, a lot of people kept coming to me and saying, wow, this this thing is pretty cool. So. Uh, I hope you have uh, incredible success with this, Neil. I, I think it's one of the, like I said earlier, it's one of the most innovative products I've seen in a long time that's hit our industry in terms of a product. And I, I think um, kudos to you for sort of creating a, uh, a willingness to do this and put it back into the marketplace. So um, good luck to you, man. Well, thanks very much indeed, Tom. And for those of you who want any more information, uh, you can go to our website, which is uh, littlemediavault.com. Um, has all our contact information, specifications, and uh, some pictures on there. So go take a look. And, um, uh, Tom, thanks again for having me on your show. Hey, no problem, man. Take care. Cheers. We're back with the uh, RimPro Report news. We all got updated on what's happening at Nade earlier, so no more need to discuss those things right now. But uh, a couple of things showed up in the news this week. Iron Mountain uh, has a brand new program out for EMR, called actually called the EMR Enablement Solution. Launched in late July, it offers healthcare organizations a complete set of tools for digitizing patient records, archiving electronic files, protecting them from disaster, and then destroying them. Based on the recent interviews with you know, Larry at EMR on the cloud, the consolidation of services in the medical area is obviously transpiring. And it seems like Iron Mountain has, has created a, an entire campaign or program around that. So I guess the question is, are you on board with this? Uh, are you really consolidating your efforts towards the medical community? There's money out there in stimulus. There is uh, sort of an agenda in the whole medical community to ensure that their records are compliant and looked after and digitized and accessible. So I think it's important to be on board. Uh, also uh, in the news, access information management from Pleasanton, and there seem to be all over the place now, added a new director of information systems and training. Loritza Stringfellow is a records management software vendor, a veteran, not vendor, software veteran. I'm not sure where she's come from, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what her role will be in the uh, ongoing um, movement of that company. Uh, this might not be huge news, but I'm watching with interest the foray of many RIM vendors into the social media space. I'm watching them sort of uh, log in and create accounts in Twitter and Facebook, and I commend many of those and commend you if you're doing it. I, I guess I'd advise caution, though. Well, it is part of the new world order, this whole social media thing. You should be testing it and trying it but don't get sort of suckered into drinking the Kool-Aid. Uh, the, the world says, yeah, jump on board this new thing, and 
what I think is B2B services tend to be one of the, the last evolution of sort of new marketing trends. And so I completely concur that you should be testing it, trying it. Uh, if you read my article in the Prism magazine uh, this last month, you, you'll see that I'm, I'm not anti-social media. I'm actually quite uh, a, a proponent of it. But don't make it the thing that sort of you rest all your hopes on. Stick with the knitting. Stick with what works. Uh, it's not a cure. Social media is not a cure for ailing marketing. It will not magically get you a client tomorrow. Although if one shows up, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say that's a bad thing. But that's the news for this week. I'm telling you. Uh, going forward, I'll be forced to make up news if I don't hear from you. I need to hear what's happening in your world. New hires, new people in your company, new services, new offerings. Please let me know. I'd love to hear and share it with the rest of the community. And that's it for the news. We have a great opportunity today to talk to Jack Wiles, who is uh, actually the upcoming keynote speaker and featured speaker at the Bare Metal Data Conference in Baltimore, September 9th and 10th. So uh, I wanted to do this as a bit of a, a setup for that conference, but but I also want to do it because Jack is an incredibly interesting uh, person. Jack, are you on the line? Yes, sir. I sure am. Good to talk to you, Tom. Oh, it's great to have you on the RimPro Report. Uh, let, me, let me just tell tell people who are listening a little bit about you, and then I'll let you maybe explain that a bit more. Uh, you are a security professional with more than 30 years experience in security, computer, disaster recovery, physical security. Uh, you have trained federal agents, corporate attorneys, internal auditors on computer crime and related stuff. You're a pioneer in presenting um, homeland security issues. You run uh, a company, president and co-founder of The Training Co., which produces uh, the annual techno-security conferences and techno-forensics conferences. Man, you're involved in everything. You work with special agents in U.S. Secret Service, FBI, Customs, Department of Justice, Department of Defense. I think you're probably on the hit list for a lot of people. Sounds like you're doing a lot of stuff. And I have for a long time, and I've it, it's been an absolutely thrilling life not that it's over yet hopefully but you know i got involved with physical security after coming back from vietnam this was uh, back in the early 70s as a bonded locksmith and then dove heavily into the technical world so they they were concurrent so even though i have you know 30 plus years in each just you know please don't add them <laughs> okay <laughs> Well, I am I am seriously excited to have you on this show. You you and I have chatted a couple of times, and I am uh, I'm thrilled because I think you bring something to uh, our industry that maybe we haven't talked enough about, and that is the whole element of security. You are a, an expert and insider. You seem to know your way around where people are messing it up. And in the rim industry, we have prided ourselves, I think, for years and years on this security. We sell our ability to secure our clients' assets, their data, their information, their media, their their you know physical records, their digital records now. And uh, it's interesting to me because you've spent a whole lot of time trying to show your clients and people in business and in corporate life where they are at risk. So tell me a little bit about you know how, how you might respond to to this whole area of RIM services and this sense of being secure, but maybe we're not as secure as we think we are. Well, and security is always a moving target. Um, in, in fact, the chapter that I sent you from, from one of the books dealt you know, specifically with physical security, which I've always considered the biggest hole. Right. And it, my brief experiences in the record management world on the receiving end, on the end where everything is stored, that security is probably as high as I see anywhere. Hmm. You know, typically there'll be uh, man trap entrances to get into the building. Many of the buildings have, you know, underground storage, I mean, security cameras, I mean, which is fantastic. I mean, it'd be wonderful to see more of that out there right. in the general industry. But what I did, just for kicks, I, I usually go online when I look into something new. And fortunately, with Google, you can find out an awful lot very, very quickly. Right. And what I put as a search in Google was basically, I think, the words data tape theft, something like that, just to see what popped up. And, you know, all kinds of stories and things about just, you know, ways that 
incidents have happened, and most of this is, is things that appeared in the newspapers. Yeah. And in all of the ones that I looked at, what was really interesting was it didn't seem like the 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 receiving end, you know, the the data storage end, in appeared in any of those as an issue of where the theft happened. I mean, the only place I would see something like that happening internally would be a, a basically an inside job. And, right. You know, unfortunately, with everything in the world, you know, inside jobs are going to happen. I mean, it or can happen. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. So that's a whole different you know arena there. But the others seem to be in either in transit or in some process that happened at the you know the end or the company end that's actually having the data you know sent. Right. And those are areas that are, you know, maybe a little bit less secure. Now, one of your, your questions when we talked earlier, which I found was interesting, and I will also be addressing at least my thoughts on some of this, you know, at the uh, at the Bare Metal Data World Conference, is that, you know, what kinds of things can companies that are as secure as the, the storage companies are help do to help other companies? And, I mean, there's, there are probably, you know, four or five things that, that come to mind that, you know, I think depending on the size of the of the customer, to me the people at most risk are typically the the small to medium sized companies. Okay. Because they really don't have, you know, they won't have internal auditors. Definitely not information systems auditors. You know, they may not have a disaster recovery planner, et cetera. So, so somebody has to take care of all those duties. Those duties are just as important. Yeah. For those companies. So what could be, you know, as, as an outreach, again, from the experts like the folks you're dealing with would be, you know, managed security services or, or security reviews. I mean, there's a, there's a whole list of things that I know that the, even the larger businesses need a different set of eyes to look at, to, to have someone come in and evaluate where they are, you know, in their security posture. Hmm. Okay. And, and what else I found interesting, just in looking at most of it, almost every one of these articles addressed the fact that that this was a human problem. In other words, the vulnerability, either, you know, someone, you know, misplaced something or, I mean, in, in, and I didn't, you know, say that. I mean, I just read it. It, yeah. it was a human yeah. problem, which I see as the case typically, and I mention in virtually anything that I write, that you know, the, everything to do with security, for the most part, is that. Um, is a human issue. Is a human issue. Yeah. And, you know, I've trained, and I don't, I'm not saying this is a selling thing because I don't do it anymore. I don't have time, but I've trained probably 10,000 people in security awareness training. Wow. And what I've learned over the years of 20 plus years in doing that, almost 30 now, that if you get the people involved that are the day in and day out worker bees, they will help secure the building. They will help secure the process and everything else. And, you know, we've gotten to a place of being so busy that sometimes the little things are what wind up falling through the cracks. So why don't, why don't you give us a, you know, I I, I realize that so many of, of people who listen, again, are trying to or attempting to be very secure in their environments. And yes, as luck would have it, we all are pretty secure. However, uh, one of the things I, you know, I, I kind of dug through some of the stuff you've written and discovered things as simple as, you know, employee badges or key control systems or, you know, the the way we have locks and uh, entry points in our buildings. Those things are all potential huge risk areas. Exactly. And what we have found um I won't say I did this a lot, but a number of times where companies would experience a problem frequently, it would be industrial espionage or obviously something that one way or another they were targeted. Yeah. And what would happen is if you looked at it through a different set of eyes, which is what our inside penetration team did, even though the posture was all good and even though there were security policies, et cetera, that were efficient, it was it's just so easy for us as human beings to be a little bit lax, right. not, not, you know, negligent, but just when you see the same thing day in, day in and day out, you may not see the real vulnerability. And I right. use the example of my personal garage. I mean, I tend to be a, you know, I won't say a pack rat, although my wife would probably say I am, but 
<laughs> but if you, if I walk in, it looks perfectly normal. Right. If someone walked in that was like, you know, my God, this is going to fall on you. And that, you know, I mean, it's, and again, it's not as bad as it sounds, but but that's what happens. So when you bring in someone that isn't familiar with the area, but that's just looking for certain vulnerabilities, we almost always found a, mis- a malfunctioning lock. Okay. Or, uh, you know, or some little thing that was just, um, you know, that, that maybe the employee awareness program either hadn't happened or hadn't been reviewed lately. Um, and I mentioned some of the things, you know, again, these are buildings that are much, much less, for the most part, which is the typical building, much less secure than the off-site data centers, the, the few of them that I've been involved with, the storage areas. Right. Um, but that level of security, you know, it is... I think there needs to be at least a, a considerable raising of the level at most places, especially now considering we've been at war for years. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and, and everyone, and this is why I'm addressing social engineering. It sounds like a you know, kind of a catch-all statement, but that is a, a potentially dangerous vulnerability and threat. So just just to back up, when when you mentioned social engineering, what do, what do you mean by that? Well. It's really the art of the con. I mean, it is something that is, and you see it all the time in movies and in in other places where people will just pretend to be other than who they actually are. Okay. And and so what you will do is take advantage of that human nature. And I'll be demonstrating this with this is the part of the scary, but with some scary illusions that I will completely control a situation that people, once it's over, and I've had federal agents say, my God, you know, how in the world did you possibly do that? And it was all done with social engineering. So the reason I use magic as a part of my training, even just diversing a little teeny bit, is the reason that works is the same reason social engineering works. Unless we key our minds to be almost a little bit, you know, not paranoid ever, but a little bit suspicious of even phone calls, Hmm. You know what I'm saying? People calling in, and I'll send you a follow-up article. Uh, this was a chapter I wrote in the No Tech Hacking book on social engineering specifically, where I give a, an example that uh, anyone would fall for it if they weren't a little more prepared, a little more aware that people are trying to, to con you. It's not really any different than what we're currently calling phishing attacks through email. Right, okay. So, you know but it's, it's, it's phishing attacks in a physical forum can be physical or it can also be telephone. Oh, okay. But the physical was how we got the teams inside the buildings. And and when I did some of these, some of these buildings were very high secured, you know, relatively. Right. And uh, I mean, they had armed guards, etc. but we never failed. I mean, we had the team in there and a lot of it was just people just being caught off guard and then not again being aware. Now, on on the plus side, after some training, when we did it a second time, yeah, almost every time we were caught. Really, and that what that did was it proved how much how valuable it is for people to get their entire employee organization involved with at least what they can do to be some of the eyes and ears, you know, from from the normal daily activity. So, can can you give us a, an example of what that might look like in a you know in a, in just a, a simple way? How, how might someone social social engineer, as you put it, or Pull the wool over, you know, a, a company's eyes, such that they they can accomplish a negative result, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. But but what would be a simple way they might do that? Well, what I would normally do, and I think I wrote about this in that chapter in that book. But when we did our penetration tests, and a number of these places had multiple buildings, we would always go in pretending to be looking for the human resources department because we were trying to apply for a job. Well, what we were really doing was scoping the place out. How easy is it to just walk right in past a receptionist? How easy is it to, to get access to the building? How do the people dress? You know, because when we came back for the final attack, we wanted to just be completely you know, completely different, or not different, but completely looking like they were, so we didn't look different. Right. Now, another example of that is timing. You know, and I, I say this in most of the presentations, I mean, when is what's the most vulnerable time when you're paying least attention for someone to come into your building? And, and the, the quick answer to that is probably Friday afternoon toward the end of the day 
you know, what's the best kind of a weekend to do that? It's a weekend with a holiday because yeah, okay. then everybody's heading out. Everybody's kind of focused on And they're not thinking about else. anything but that upcoming weekend, and we are just meandering our way in past the vulnerabilities that we found on prior. This is terrorists do this same thing. Hmm. So this whole increased awareness is a piece that not only does it need to happen everywhere, but this is something else that could be offered by the very the, the very same companies that offer the record storage. Right. You know what I'm saying? There's, I mean, yeah. there, as I looked through this, there were, I mean, even to the point of penetration tests, if, hmm. if they got with the proper companies, and again, I'm not saying any of that because it, I don't do any of it anymore. Yeah. But yeah. if they got with the proper companies, that is a phenomenal offer because they're already known and trusted. You know what I'm saying? Right. You're not going right. to let your data leave and be stored somewhere that you don't totally right. completely trust. Right. So, yeah. I mean, those would be tremendous Value-added services. Value-added services. Yeah. In that chapter that I sent you, I, I included a – there's a little write-up in there about a disk crusher. Uh, EDR Solutions offers it. And this crushes hard drives. Yeah. Well, I mean, when, when we went in these penetration tests, one of the first things we'd look for is the elephant burial ground, as I call it. That would be the hard drives, you know, from systems that were maybe two or three years old. And inevitably, they had still had most of the data on them that was still accurate. And that data becomes very valuable to other people. And, and, and I think in our industry, especially in the media protection uh, storage part of the industry, uh, it, it's very well you know, managed and looked after. But I, I think sometimes what we discover from our side of the industry as we go in and see clients is they're not as aware of how critical where that stuff is just lying around the elephant burial ground, as you call it. And that's so true. And that was another thing I jotted down as an example. We, for years, have been training either internal auditors or if it's a big enough company to have information systems auditors, training both of them. They would be excellent to be trained and worked with through groups like the record storage folks, again, being the experts. Right. Because then this whole process really would need to be and should be audited. Hmm. And what you gain by that audit is another due diligence. In other words, you know, as far as the uh, the negligence level, if you will, for anything that did happen, and every one of these things that I read online, you know, had some implications of potential, you know, data theft, um, uh, you know, identity theft, et cetera, et cetera, that, that took probably months to get straightened out from the records that were taken. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, the, so, the implications of losing it or being insecure is huge. The uh, the ability to be insecure in the moment is, is you know, seemingly irrelevant to a lot of companies. They, you know, it, it's that they, the effects of a breach or of, of not being... Um, as you say, suspicious, uh, mm -hmm. it, it can be huge. And see, the threat level, and this is where I have a little fun, having been in this thing for so many years, you know, I carry around, and they'll get to see it in the presentation, but um, a little 8-inch floppy. Yeah. Not a 5-inch, not a 3-inch. I'm talking an 8-inch. The old 8-inch floppy. 8-inch. Now, that was state-of-the-art. Yeah. Very few companies even had them. Yeah. In from for about five years. Oh yeah. From like 1982 to probably 85 or six, and you know what did you lose if that were stolen or destroyed? You know about 180k with yeah. a k. Oh yeah. And look at it now. I mean, terabytes thumb drives are starting to show up. Yeah. No, the the amount of data you can put on very limited stuff right now is is unbelievable, and it and it continues to expose us even more to. And I mean, just even this last couple of weeks, there has been uh, major uh, loss in terms of data from from security protocols that have not been uh, followed. And it's it, it's so difficult to say how how far reaching the results of that can be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, the one thing that did show up in each of these articles that I agree with. And there's various ways of doing this, but, you know, and I've been saying this, I don't know, I think the first paper I wrote 20 years ago addressed this, the need for encryption. Right. Now, that's not an easy thing to always implement, and there is an overhead, obviously, you know, always when you encrypt something and then decrypt it when you, when you, you know, yeah. try to use it again. But, but that does, you know, 
again, I, I did, all I'm saying is I saw that as a countermeasure in just about each of the articles. Which and, it, and it is a countermeasure, and yet it's amazing how how few companies actually do it. It's 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 one extra step that you know might cost you some money, but it saves you incredible amounts of money on the tail end. And it used to be because processing power that. You know, that took a fair amount of additional processing power with everything being encrypted and then decrypted. But that, you know, that argument, I think, is changing a yeah. little bit. Of course, there's more data, but, you know, the process speed now with you know, even small computers in, at home is just beyond unbelievable. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a constant process of of looking at what's what's valuable to you and then, you know, what do you have at risk of of that falling into the wrong hands. Now, it's a little different story even if you're ever targeted. Right. And and I'm not saying targeted necessarily with, you know, foreign intelligence, but even industrial espionage. Um, and that, that was the result of why we had, you know, the test that we did, I believe, just about all of them were some result of industrial espionage. And, you know, that's a little different than a tape just, you know, being... Lost. Left or lost next yeah. to a dunk. On one, of the, one of the discussions in there said they're pretty sure it got thrown in the trash. I don't know how that could ever be, you know, right. Right. really known. I mean, it's gone. So, you know, but uh, if you're targeted, then it's a little different story. Now, you know, some of the other things that uh, software, and I've been around it long enough to know that I, I've, I'm thinking just about anything could happen. In other words, as far as people being able to get to the data on a tape, you know, I don't think I'd ever say never. Yeah. Well, and, and that, that's, that's I guess, you said it's a moving target when we started. And it's a moving target because, as I understand it, the, the uh, attempts by uh, hackers and related um, forces to compromise security in so many different areas, uh, you know, is often being chased by the people trying to secure that same data. You know, there, there's there's constantly new ways, and often even by teenagers. But increasingly, I am aware that that it's you know it's high level uh, foreign um, crime syndicates or whatever that are being involved in this kind of stuff. And we can't take anything for granted. And I think if I hear anything from you, it's uh, you have to constantly be vigilant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and it's a. It's a complex, in fact, the one article, that very one I was telling you about a little earlier, uh, you know, out there on the ARMA LinkedIn list, um, it addressed the whole IS tie-in and the need for that with just about everything now to do with records management. And that's also why, just a real quick plug for that piece of it, with the Bare Metal Data World Conference, we're including from our company, you know, two VIP passes to each of our conferences. That's the Techno Security Conference and the Techno Forensics Conference, and both of those include digital investigations. But absolutely free, which is about a five thousand dollar value for anyone that attends the Bare Metal Data World Conference. And oh, that's pretty up, cool. Comes up and lets me scare him to death for a couple right. hours. Way to go! Well, that's a cool bonus for uh, people that go. Yes, sir. Way to go! So uh, any, you know, when you think about your life and the, the work you've done and the, um, you know, the work you've done trying to prove to people that you can get in their buildings or, or physically, what, what's your best story? Best story bar none. You know, and if, wow. if you were going to say this story at your upcoming uh, presentation, well, then give the second best story. <laughs> Gosh, there's so many of them. I mean, it, wow, that's. That's an interesting. Sorry, I didn't. Thing. I didn't mean we, to put you on the spot. There. No, that's okay. Yeah, we we've never failed. I mean, I'd say one of the most frightening, and this really isn't even a penetration test story, but this is burned into my mind for something that I just thought of the implications of it. But I walked into a building yeah. in a major city in their parking lot and used the restroom that was in the parking lot. Okay. And I think I wrote about this in one of the books, but. Um, and I went to grab a paper towel, and here's hanging out of the paper towel rack a set of keys. Okay. And the end of that key that opens the paper towel, obviously the, whoever came through to change the paper towels had yeah. forgot their keys. Now, I know a master and a grandmaster and a great-grandmaster key when I see them having been a locksmith for a number of years. Right. Two of those, there were at least two master keys hanging on that key ring. Now, to rekey that building... You're talking at least a quarter of a million dollars. Really? And 
So key control, you know what I'm saying? Things like that, I mean, several things, <laughs> that, that kind of level of key should never be on a key ring that can just then go and open a paper towel rack for that right. very reason. Right. But then also you, you begin to look at, you know, who has access to those and, and what is that, that, the impact of losing that physical security device, because that's a whole lot tougher to change than a technical yeah. you know, than, than a oh, password. Yeah. That's effectively what the key is, is a password to be able to get into to whatever the doors are. But but what I've learned, the biggest thing I've learned that, again, it's not necessarily a story, it's just a combination of, of, of events or effects from the stories, but is that people will help if they know what the threat is and how they can help prevent it. You're talking staff members. Not just staff, every employee. Oh, okay. And see that you and I've seen that written about and talked about over and over and over. Well, I guess that would be staff, but over and over again that you know the need to just keep them appraised of what the threat level is, and it's it's going to always be there. I mean, whether we're at war or not, because then you throw the terrorist issue into the game, and it's they use the same processes. But you know, to just just constantly be a little bit more suspicious of who the strangers are either calling on the phone or coming into your building. Right. And that was the case, I mean, over and over again. The other thing that we saw a lot of constantly was phone numbers written next to critical modems. Now, modems are still out there. You know, most buildings, and back to this whole world of technology, most buildings are controlled by something, you know, air handlers or, you know, access controls to buildings right. or whatever that's all computerized. And most of that has still has a modem that outside maintenance can call in and work on it. And many times that phone number would be right next to to the modem itself, I huh. mean, you know, when we would do these tests. But, you know, once, the other thing we found that once we were inside of buildings, it was like, the guard was down. In other words, if we were there, it was automatically assumed that we belonged there. You, you, you were there for a reason, and you knew, yeah, there was no questioning it. That's correct. Wow. That's correct. And, and, and I guess, you know, I mean, if there is, a, like, a, if you will, a, a story. My most favorite, and this is, it shows that there's some awareness, but yet not, it could go one step further. My most favorite, we were in this one room that used to be like a, a break room. Yeah. And... It wasn't used as much as a break room anymore because there were filing cabinets all around the room with a bunch of good stuff in them, and that's kind of what we were after. But there was one candy machine left in that room. And we were in there going through the file cabinets. We heard someone coming toward the room, so we went over to the candy machine and pretended to be getting candy. We didn't have any change. So what we did was we asked the person that came in, do you have some change? We're trying to get some candy. They said no, and we left. Well, we immediately got out of that building. The people that hired us called about 20 minutes later and said, were you in room such and such? Now, the thing to keep in mind, if you're doing a penetration test, you could have real stuff happening at the same time. Right. You know what I'm saying? There could be like real live people. Obviously, you're there yeah. most likely because it already happened once anyway. Right. So this person called and said, were you in room such and such? And we're thinking, well, this is good because somebody called you know, and reported some strange stuff. And we said, yeah. And they said, well, someone just recalled and reported they thought somebody was trying to break into the candy machine. (laughs) (laughs) I said, they came so close. I mean, they were right to report that, but it's like, you know, know, what about the rest of, like, real important stuff in the filing cabinets? Yeah, the filing cabinets, not just the candy. And we were never, and this is the other thing with these tests, we made it very clear, it's not any individual's problem if that individual didn't do what what probably should have been done. It's right. just most likely they were not trained to look for that because we've seen it time and time again. After these, in theory, you should have some training from someone, and you can do that internally. Yeah. Then go back a few months later, you should get caught, and almost always we did. Wow. Well, that's so it, cool. it just proved that it worked. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's the least expensive, most effective countermeasure you can employ. Wow getting your people involved. And, and again, you can do that internally. That's part of how I even got involved with all this years and years ago is I was tasked internally with putting together a security awareness program. Hmm. 
Well, all very, uh, I, I think, important and relevant information to those of us in the RIM services industry that are constantly talking about how secure we are. It, it I think, behooves us to continue to, to make sure our own companies are uh, as secure as humanly possible. Humanly possible, I say there, because I think we've done a lot of the other stuff, but keep that human edge in play. And, uh, and that, that's a, a big part of what we, we have to do to, to really serve our customers and clients effectively. Jack, it has been uh, a pleasure to have you. I, I know that uh, you said earlier in, uh, in our conversation that you're giving away, uh, along with people attending the uh, Bare Metal Conference, you're giving away um, stuff to your own conference. If people want to learn more about those conferences, uh, they find those at thetrainingco.com. Is that correct? That's correct. That's thetrainingco.com, and we our main conference. This will be our thirteenth year coming up. We do it at Myrtle Beach, and our other conference is currently held at NIST headquarters, the National Institute of Standards Technology, up in Maryland, and that's in October twenty fifth, twenty fifth, twenty sixth this year. Very cool. Well, we'll we'll add those to the uh, to the uh, website so people have links to that. But uh, good good luck at the uh, bare metal conference. It was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, your uh, your knowledge and insider stuff is uh, definitely valuable for us to consider on an ongoing basis. So thanks again. Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure for me. Thank you. Well, that wraps another week of the RimPro Report. I am thankful to Jack Wiles, uh, Bob Johnson, and Neil Hunt for being a part of the show today. And I'm especially thankful to you for being here today and sharing this show with us. Next week, we're going to talk to Steve Richards about prep for fires and the like, significant disasters. And I think if anyone in this industry gets that and knows how to prepare for that, it's Steve Richards. We're also going to talk to Tom Dumez from Kent Records and the the whole HIPAA program that they implemented at Kent Records and what you can learn from that or potentially from him going forward. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for being here, and we'll catch up with you next week. Have a great one. See ya. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com, where you can find show archives and a whole lot more. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Incorporated. Join us again soon.